Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, citizens, to Liberty Tales from the Tower. As your media director, it is my privilege to inform you that the following stories will contain content some listeners will certainly find disturbing. But first, we here at Tower 4 have a few brief but special announcements. First, the Department of Public Affairs has informed us that a new document has just been released as declassified information for the purposes of informing our citizen listeners and interested parties of the accompanying visuals for the expedition of Dr. Kovsky and his party. The Liberty Fringe Iconography Guide, a supplement to Dr. Kovsky's inethnographic investigation of the tribes and activities of the Southern Fringe, is now available on our web store. This small pocket booklet will allow listeners to identify and reference symbols from both the adventures of Dr. Kovsky and the upcoming Liberty Deception graphic novel. It is also available digitally for those who support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash libertypodcast. This visual guidebook will also be of great interest to many fellow citizens interested in learning a little bit more about the fringe. It's all in the name of science, right? Speaking of which, tonight's tale, For Science, was written and is read for us by Caitlin Statz. What exciting events could possibly be happening in a water treatment facility? Let's find out. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Newly graduated from the Science Institute and overflowing with certifications, I was underwhelmed when I got the open research position at the water treatment facility. My family was ecstatic. It was a great position. Important enough, highly intellectual, well compensated, and more. The research position was right up my academic avenue. It was the natural order of things for me to be there. 
It was boring, but what could I expect right out of the Institute? I started off rather simply. The first couple of days were just an introduction to the staff and facility. The staff consisted of some rather droll researchers, public affairs reps, engineers, and maintenance staff, but the facilities were fantastic. If I had actually enjoyed the field of research, I might have reached a utopia, but intellectually I did not feel challenged. The primary water tanks towered overhead, and the sound of rushing water was unlike anything heard elsewhere. The pipelines were color-coded and complex, stretching like a circuit board throughout the facility. Red pipes here, blue pipes there. The colors themselves were astonishing, and the structure was a domain unparalleled in my lifetime. It was dangerous, but it was exciting. Maintenance workers would hang upside down from pipes like children on a playground just to reach a welding spot. Researchers would flash fill entire tanks in minutes, filling the air with heavy humidity. Sure, it was work, hard work, but here it seemed so alive. As time went on, I got to know my fellow workers over break time meal and walks to and from the train station. They were kind and they had stories to tell. Dr. Blackwell had been working at the facility for longer than I was alive and he was filled with stories. He told of a time he and the scientists from the lab one floor up had to evacuate due to a pipe leak, and everyone within the facility escaped with a slight substance intoxication and a two-hour stint on a lower timbre. He said it was odd to meet the other scientists. The heavy water tanks meant that the water treatment facility occupied the bottom floors of the building, but the above floors belonged to several different divisions and research laboratories. Dr. Blackwell was a bit too intoxicated to remember much, but these scientists were from some teletrans lab or the like. He mostly remembered the QTTP heading on the data pad more than anything as the low-octave scientists were laughing out. As the months rolled on, my research finally got into the monotonous details. I was spending longer and longer days at the facility, coming in with the first shift, power napping near lunch, and leaving with the last shift. I wasn't enjoying it at all, but I was the most successful person my age that I knew. I took breaks to help my fellow researchers on their work and eventually had my name attached to multiple papers. My research was the long game measuring isotopic enrichment over time in the individual water reservoirs. But as a few new researchers transferred in from a different facility, the timetables grew busier and busier. On one night, I had to stay late. Later than usual. Certainly later than the others. At last, there was no one but the maintenance staff and me. They joked about being a hard worker and that I needed a social life. My response was to laugh, and I wished them a pleasant evening. They were done with everything but the frontmost control room, and I wound my way back through the maze of pipes, colors nearly indistinguishable now that the primary lights had been deactivated and only the amber auxiliaries lit the facility. In two hours, I would be home, but that would not really be an improvement. A 20-minute train ride just to arrive to an insignificantly empty apartment. If I slept for seven hours, I would wake up again just to take the 20-minute train ride back to the facility. I was 26 years old, well-educated, well-employed, and well-bored. Reaching the needed access panel, I hooked up my data reader to the panel. The readings would take a few minutes, and I needed to take additional samples from the lowermost density separation gradient tank. It wasn't too far, maybe another two minutes into the tangled pipework. I left my data reader to download the readings and run through the system while I went to take additional samples. If I could get this done, maybe I could ask for a day off. Taking a long weekend looked like a bright spot on the horizon. The Z Planetarium had a new exhibit opening soon, and it sounded relaxing enough. Bobbing and weaving through the amber-shaded pipes, I reached for the plastic sample tube in my coat and undid the top, just in time to strike my head on a low-hanging pipe. The sample tube's top went rolling off under a tank. Scrap. I cursed and knelt down to see where it had stopped. Just as I thought it was lost to the dark of the undertank, it rolled back out. Huh. Lucky. I scooped up the top, but it was sticky, and I dropped it again in disgust. I couldn't use it now anyway. It was contaminated with whatever goo had accumulated under the tank. I would need to inform the maintenance and janitorial staff of this overlooked problem. 
I turned, wanting to head back, but noticing I could not recognize what direction I was currently facing. The amber lights made it impossible to follow the colored pipes like street maps. But I started back, or at least the direction I thought was back, but my foot was not lifting from the ground. Stupid pipes. I grumbled and looked down at my foot. Not pipes, but some sticky puddle had affixed my boot to its position. I wrenched my foot free of my boot and walked forward, weaving through the pipes. I stopped dead in my tracks as I heard a noise above me and covered my head. At times, workers high in the pipes would drop their tools and cause grave injury to those below, but nothing seemed to keep falling. I kept on my way, but I soon heard the noise again, a clatter above me and then a shuffle behind. Birmingham? Zhang? Is that you? No response. There was no talking, no laughing, and no movement. I was in a narrow section between two tanks with pipes on both sides, and I just waited. I heard a dripping sound from behind me. Turning my head, my hair got stuck in the same sticky substance my boot had been stuck in. It was on the pipes behind me. It hadn't been there moments ago. A shuffling noise came from in front of me. I was boxed in, and my hair was stuck to the goo on the pipes behind me. I wrenched at my hair and out of desperation pulled out my pocket tool and cut a massive chunk off to free myself. As I fell forward, I could hear the sound again in front of me. It was followed soon after by a skittering noise that echoed on the tanks. I was too scared to go forward, and it was impossible to go back. I thought for a moment about crawling under the tanks, but then I remembered the sample tube's cap rolling back out covered in that goo. Going under the tanks was not an option. Then I recalled the maintenance workers climbing the pipes, and I readied myself for my first vertical facility experience. I took off my other boot and planted my foot on the nearest horizontal pipe. I climbed, and as the fumbling and skittering noises beneath me grew louder, I climbed faster. The city takes the fear of heights out of you at an early age, but not the fear of falling. I gripped every pipe like it was my lifeline, and I didn't look back. That is, until I did. Beneath me, the fumbling noise never seemed to get farther away. And when I looked down, I saw two large, featureless orbs reflecting back up at me in the amber light. It looked like it had form, like the large, dark gash beneath those orbs was a mouth. I climbed faster, taking more clumsy actions than I should have. The tanks near me were tall, and when I finally reached the top of the tanks, I was happy to plant my feet down on the hard tops. The clamoring from below continued. Whoever was coming up after me was not stopping and was very near now. I didn't wait to see it come over the edge. I ran to the other side of the tank and looked around. Even in the amber light, I could see a hole in the ceiling just a few feet off the tank. The next floor above was a completely different research facility. If I could get in, maybe someone was on duty and maybe I could call security services. I struggled over the pipes and reached the hole. I should have stopped and turned back when I noticed the goo on one side of the hole, but my pursuer was so close now that I couldn't stop running. I avoided the goo and climbed up the hole. Once in the research lab above, I tipped a desk over the hole. Everything went quiet, but everything also went dark. It looked as though no one worked the night shift in this lab, and thusly none of the lights were on. I stumbled around the lab, feeling for the walls in a security panel. This research lab also had tanks of some kind, although their circumference was significantly smaller than the massive water treatment tanks below. I finally reached what felt like another desk and turned on the data screen just for the beam of light it produced. The tanks. Great Archon, the tanks. Each of the smaller tanks in the lab was a transparent tube housing impossible monstrosities. Their flesh was mangled and their limbs were all the wrong size. The lesions and growths on their bodies didn't match anything I had seen. 
At points, it looked like some had teeth growing from their stomachs, and some even seemed to be two beings entangled together in skin and organs. Worst of all, one of the tanks was shattered open. The liquid from in the tank had pooled into a corner I had yet to reach, but the monstrosity was absent. Wide-eyed and panicked, I typed random numbers again and again into the data screen, activating the security protocols for unauthorized use. A red light near a door flared and I ran towards it, banging and screaming. A bang came from nearby and I sighed. The security team was near. The bang came again, but this time I could tell it was from behind me. The upturned desk on the floor shook and I cried out. I banged at the door. It was locked and the security personnel should have been there by now. It banged again. Just as it did, I could see orbs of red reflection turn towards me from the other tanks. I fell next to the door, their eyes on me. Just then, the door hissed open and a hulking black figure stepped in, grasping the back of my lab coat and pulling me out the door, followed soon after by the sound of the door lock. You are not permitted on this floor, Dr. Kamdar. The security officer stated. Well, those things aren't permitted on mine, I screamed back. This took him off guard. The door was sealed, Dr. Kamdar. The test subjects in this floor do not have access to the water treatment facility below. He examined me with aggravation and worry, pausing at the sight of my lopsided hair in distress. There's a hole! I gasped. In the ceiling! I mean the floor! I waved towards the room. They, it, one of its, got into the below facility. It chased me up here! More security guards arrived, and I was escorted away to make a statement. I was kept in the holding cell overnight, followed by a day of more questioning. I was shaken by the event and given several days off as a reward for signing multiple non-disclosure documents. I saw the new exhibit at the Z Planetarium, went for drinks at Jacob West Park, and got a haircut. I actually caught up on some visual broadcasts for the first time in ages. Yesterday, I went back to work, the same 20-minute train ride waiting for me. I met my new overseer, Dr. Ogawa, who looked delighted to see me. She and I were talking as she opened the door to the room. Inside, the eyes of those test subjects met mine, and Dr. Ogawa turned to me. There are not many people who would choose this line of work. I understand. I smiled and followed Dr. Ogawa. There have to be certain sacrifices for the sake of science. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Podcast. Episode 4 of Tales from the Tower, for science, was written and read by Caitlin Statz, with accompanying voices by Victoria Rowette and Travis Vengroff. The music and sounds were designed by Careless Juja, and the introduction theme was performed by Brandon Strader. If you would like more information about the world of Atreus, please check out libertyendures.com. You can also ask questions at our subreddit, Liberty Endures. To support the Liberty Podcast, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash libertypodcast. Liberty is a Fool and Scholar production, and this episode is trademarked by John Dossinger Publishing 2016. Thank you for listening, and may the Archon watch over you.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.